Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the e-commerce Maven podcast. On this week's episode, we're talking all about pricing. How do you know if your product is priced right? We're going to tackle that tricky question, and I'm going to give you lots to think about on this week's episode. So let's get into it. Welcome to Brave and Boss, a podcast for the purpose-driven founder who wants to grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Christy Sumer. I'm the CEO and founder of the Ethical Fashion Line Encircled, a conscious business coach and passionate about helping you break through your limits and build a brand that matters. Let's do this. Hello, and thank you for returning to join us on the e-commerce Maven podcast. This is episode 184. And we're going to dig into trying to figure out if you priced your product correctly. And that is a very complex subject. But I'll tell you, I wanted to do a podcast episode about this specifically because of everything that's happened in the last year with inflation around general pricing, but also raw materials as well. Um, And I think it's a great time to talk about it and reevaluate your pricing and start to look at the numbers a little bit more deeply and start to question whether or not you have the right pricing strategy for your e-commerce brand. Pricing is one of those arts and science kind of topics similar to inventory. There's like no one solution to it, unfortunately, but there's a lot of data you can pull into your pricing. But at the end of the day, you have to really determine how you want your product to be positioned in the marketplace. There's room for every product in the marketplace as long as there's a product market fit which is a tricky place to land. But if you look at the marketplace, let's say for purses, you could get a purse at Winners or TJ Maxx for probably $19.99. You can also get a purse from Louis Vuitton for $999. And what is the difference between them? Well, I mean, I hope, I don't know. The problem with luxury brands is their supply chains are not very transparent, but I would hope they're made with ethical labor and high quality materials and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the biggest price gap is brand. I see this all the time in clothing where I'm like, oh my God, I love that like clothing brand. I see it on like celebrities. I'm like, oh my God, it must be so amazing. And I look and it's like a polyester t-shirt and I'm like, that costs like $4. I can't believe that's a $400 shirt. So brand is a huge bolster to pricing, which can be tricky to perpetuate if you're not a big brand. But we'll get into all this on this week's episode. I want to give you a personal anecdote about pricing. You know, uh, pricing for me is a tricky subject. I have a bit of a money mindset issue. I've been working on my whole life, I would say. So, um, and one of the biggest pushbacks I've gotten related to my clothing brand since starting it from the beginning, because it's locally made and sustainable and all these things, is the pricing. A lot of people pushing back on pricing. And I remember years and years ago, this is like eight, probably like six, seven years ago, we launched a V-neck and my intern actually told me she thought the V-neck was too cheap. And at the time, I really wanted to be like competitive with like Lululemon and brands like that. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to price it at like whatever, $39. The Lululemon Love Tea is $39. So that's like reasonable. But when I ran the margins uh, and did my pricing analytics around that price, it did not make sense. I had a sub 50% margin, which is not good. And I would not be able to scale with that product. So it's important to consider a lot of different factors when you are calculating your price and also when you're positioning your product. 
because Lululemon's a mass brand with massive scale. We weren't even using, we were using better materials. We were using more ethical production. Uh, we're small batch. We're local. I'm not saying that Lululemon isn't high quality because I do think their products are quite good in terms of fit. Um, and I know they've had some quality issues over the year, but pretty decent. But we can't run with those brands. And if you're a small brand, sub $10 million listening to this episode, you can't compete with those brands. And there's a pricing model which became very popular, I would say, in 2017. So that's like six years ago when Facebook ads really took off. And there was a lot of what I would call pricing arbitrage in Facebook ads because you can advertise a product and acquire a customer for like 5 to $25. Like amazing, new customer acquisition of $5, $25. That's unheard of. Now it's like 50 to like $150. Like it's gone up so, so much, it's not even on par. And what that kind of pricing arbitrage of advertising created was that there was an opportunity for brands to scale massively for very, very cheap with pretty poor marketing, mediocre products, and present themselves with a strategy of, oh, I'm a D2C brand, I'm a direct-to-consumer brand, I've cut out the middleman so that you get the best price, but you'll get a good product that you'll see at like the Bay or Nordstrom or wherever, Ulta Beauty, but you get it for like half the price because I'm, you know, not paying a wholesale fee. And the cost to acquire customers through Facebook was so cheap. And that model made sense in 2017. That model today makes no sense because it's actually fairly comparable to go wholesale now as it is to go D to C because the cost of acquisition through Facebook ads or Google ads is massive. And that is pretty much your wholesale margin. So except you don't get the distribution and scale that you get in wholesale. So if you're still kind of hanging your hat on that, you know, cut out the middleman strategy, I encourage you to revisit it because it's it's kind of a bit of a it's a bit of a unicorn myth, I think. I think, you know, when I think about it, I think of this one brand, I'm not going to name them, but they made these bracelets and they're pretty generic, to be honest. But they scaled to like, I want to say like $100 million or a couple hundred million dollars and got acquired. And like, they were really cheap, like cheap bracelets. And I just never understood that brand at all. Um, but they hit their moment. Like if you hit a moment, like if you were investing in crypto like 10 years ago or whenever it started, you know, and you got out before the crash, you hit the moment. There's a, always a moment. There's a TikTok moment. There was a moment when TikTok was so big and so viral that you could get hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales through one video. That moment has passed. So we're always looking for that moment. But when you're building a brand, you can't build your brand strategy on a moment. You need to have a very strong foundation to go from. So with that said, let's get into a little bit more about pricing. So Pricing is the number one thing I see with coaching clients that they're doing wrong. Now, that's kind of funny to say because a lot of times people come to me with marketing challenges. They want more visibility. They want more sales. They want more profit. They want to pay themselves. That's usually like the end goal. Um, they want to fully automate their business and not work anymore in it. All that kind of great stuff, which is all achievable. However, I always make clients go through a pricing exercise when we start working together. And I would say nine out of 10 times, people have priced the product wrong. I would even, I would almost say 10 out of 10, but I would say nine out of 10, it's priced completely wrong. And that is going to inhibit everything in your business. It's going to inhibit your profitability, your gross margin, which is your 
you know, retail versus your cost of goods sold. It's going to impact your ability to acquire customers, to pay yourself, to hire employees, to pay them. And if you get the pricing wrong, then you're getting everything wrong. It also will limit you in terms of like, can you do wholesale or other channels if your pricing is out of whack? I've seen brands, I'm not going to name them out because my clients have confidentiality, but I've seen brands with pricing gross margins of 10 to 30%. That is not good. Um, that, if you, you know, gross margins is retail versus cost of goods sold. So if you start to further extract like advertising costs, operating expenses, salaries, like you literally have nothing left. Nothing left. Um, if you assume that like the average OPEX, I think, is around 25 to 30%, um, in both of those scenarios, there's no profit left. So if I haven't convinced you by now that you need to look at your pricing, um, I hope you do. I have an amazing pricing template that I use with my clients um, and coaching. So if we ever coach together, I will share it with you. But you can easily make your own uh, just by putting together a spreadsheet, going through the costs that impact your price, um, what goes into it, the cost of goods sold, all that kind of stuff. All right. So factors influencing pricing. Let's talk about it. So when I talk about cost-based pricing, that's what I started to talk about there a little bit. It's really a simple way to determine the price of a product. So the whole concept is to add a margin or markup to the total cost of producing and selling a product to arrive at its price. So what goes into price? So production costs, like everything involved with making the product, raw materials, labor, direct factory overheads, um, overhead costs. So these are indirect costs of running your business, like rent, utilities, salaries, and non-production employees, insurance and office supplies, um, distribution costs. So like pecking, packing, shipping, packaging, um, commission, um, uh, transaction fees, stuff like that. Um, and then you can kind of get to what your total all-in cost is. Um, depending on your product, you may want to include wastage or return fees or anything like that in there. And then you get a markup and you add it on there. So if it's, let's say that cost is $30 and you want to mark your product up 100% and you sell it for $60 and then your margin would be 50%. So um, that's like the basics of that. So you can kind of play around with that. I would say cost-based pricing is a little bit different than like what your accountants might be pulling because most likely your accountants aren't pulling your transaction fees and overhead into your cost of goods sold because they're not technically variable costs. However, variable costs um, to me are anything tied to the distribution of the product. So if you're shipping a box I can oppose to a customer. To me, that's variable, quite frankly, um, as well as the packaging. So if you're printing hang tags and tissue paper and ribbons and boxes and stuff like that, that's a direct cost to your product. So I like to do both. I let my accountants do their legal thing. And then I run a spreadsheet where I put in all these other costs to figure out what my um, outgoing um, profit margin is. All right. So then if we think about it, there's also market-based pricing. So I talked about this a little bit but this is where you, I would say, fundamentally have an idea of your cost-based pricing, but you're spending time looking at um, everything else in the market and seeing where it's at. So if you have a lot of competition in the market, you might need to price your product competitively to attract customers. Um, if your product is high in demand, you might be able to charge a premium for it. We saw this in the pandemic with like masks, people jacking up the cost of masks or the retail price. If demand is low, you might need to uh, lower your price to encourage sales um, and market trends. So trends in the market can affect how much people will pay for your product. So 
Um, if sustainable products are trending, customers might be willing to pay more for that. If the Stanley Cup, not the NHL Stanley Cup, but that cup with the, uh, that mug with a straw is trending, then people are probably going to pay more for it. They might even pay more than um, market price. So interestingly, I remember like a couple years ago, maybe like three years ago, selling stuff on Poshmark from Lululemon. It would go in like a day. Like they had like a serious aftermarket. So does Ikea, actually. If you've ever tried to sell Ikea furniture on Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji, which is probably a Canadian thing, gone in a day. However, um, my Peloton uh, bike, when I sold it in December 2020, I hurt my back, um, gone in 24 hours with 60 offers. Uh, Why was it gone so quickly? Uh, and, And the person paid pretty much the price that you would pay to buy it from Peloton because there was none of them available and the wait time to ship them was four months. So these types of factors can really impact your pricing. So these are things you all need to look at when you're figuring out your pricing. The other thing I kind of think is important when you're looking at competitors is being honest about who your competitors are. So who are you really competing with and who do you want to compete with? So are you competing with Lululemon or do you want to compete with another brand? And this is where I think things get kind of sticky because as founders, we tend to place ourselves in the shoes of our customers and we're like, well, I wouldn't pay that for that. But like we all have different perceived values of products. So it's really important to separate yourself from that as much as possible and try to look objectively at the marketplace to see what makes sense. Another pricing strategy is value-based pricing. So this is really um, kind of what I talked about, like setting up a perceived value of product to the customer rather than the cost on the market rate. So this is kind of like what somebody, that example I gave you with like the Peloton, um, this is the value that a customer believes they'll get from your product. So it solves a significant problem for customers and offers unique benefits. They may be willing to pay more for it. In the case of my Peloton bike, you couldn't get one. It was out of stock. It was ship time and they really wanted to work out and they were trending. Um, brand positioning in the market. So Peloton was a high-end brand. So definitely was able to charge more for that and unique selling proposition. You know, Peloton's a unique bike. It's not just any bike. It plugs into their whole network and I'm still a huge fan. I have the treadmill, by the way. Um, but um, it plugs you into a whole workout community that people were really wanting to be a part of during the pandemic, especially in Canada. So all that led to value-based pricing. So I implemented that for sure on my ad. And basically, I think I ended up, I think I had that bike for maybe maybe six, seven months. And I think I lost $100 on it. So worked out pretty well for me. And the guys even came and picked it up and were very strong. So I didn't have to do anything. It was awesome. Um, so that's an example of value-based pricing. All right. So It's also worth mentioning the value-based pricing, market-based pricing, cost-based pricing are not mutually exclusive. So they overlap and play a role in your overall pricing strategy when you're trying to figure out what to do. So let's talk more about pricing strategies specifically and ways you can kind of price products to um, gain an advantage in the market and what that looks like in e-commerce. So there's something called penetration pricing. And this basically means that when you launch a new product in the market, The goal is to gain a significant market share quickly. Um, Products typically are priced lower to attract customers and deter competition. And this low price is attractive to consumers, encouraging them to try the product once the product has established a market 
and customer loyalty has been built, prices can be gradually increased. So an example of this, I would say, um, there's so many, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of a really good example of this one. Um, hmm. um, I would say maybe like Uber Eats or Uber. Uber would be a good one. That's a good one. Not an e-commerce brand, but operates digitally. So when you ordered an Uber in, trying to think of when I was consulting, um, 2012-ish, 2013, I guess they like started. No, that's not right. Yes, it is. Okay. So yeah, when I used to travel to New York a lot, I guess that was like 20, oh my God, time flies, 2014 probably. Um, I used to take Ubers all the time, home from the airport. I would take them around town. So cheap. Um, so available, you know, a trip from LaGuardia to New York, like Manhattan would be like 17 bucks. Like the, uh, trips within would be like a couple bucks, like so cheap. Uber <laughs> wanted to do that because they really wanted to come in and make a splash and basically steal business from the cab companies who were disorganized and didn't have, you know, the network and the digital presence to be called like Uber's. And also didn't have, you know, kind of the organization that Uber had. And it worked. And what happened eventually with Uber is obviously regulations came in and, and things changed. And they had to start, like, insuring drivers and doing all these things that added to their back costs. And so everything. Now if you order an Uber, at least where I'm based out of in Toronto, it's basically the same price as a cab. So when I'm going to the airport, I'm not calling an Uber. I am calling a airport limo because it's probably the same price and it's most likely more reliable to get there. But Uber enjoyed a really good ride on this penetration pricing because they were able to attract a lot of customers through their value proposition and gain a lot of market share from traditional transportation methods like cabs. All right, the next pricing strategy is price skimming. So this is kind of like the opposite of penetration pricing. It's used when a unique innovative product is introduced into the market, usually with little to no competition. Uh, the product is priced higher to skim the maximum revenue layer by layer from the market over time as the product becomes more widely available or new competitors, the price is lowered. The strategy works best when the product has a strong competitive advantage or perceived as luxury or status symbol. So I don't want to reuse the Peloton example, but I do think it is quite good um, and fits here because it was an innovative product at the time. And actually Peloton had been around for a while, but had never really gotten the foothold, I would say, that it needed. And um, they didn't have a lot of competition. And when the pa pandemic happened, they had like no competition. Uh, they were ready to go. Just remember all those like yoga studios and fitness studios who were trying to figure out how to like stream online. Oh my God, chaos. Um, and running Zoom classes and stuff like that. They were like way ahead of the game. So they were able to charge premiums for their products. Um, and then what you saw as the pandemic ebbed a bit, let's say, I know in some worlds there's still a pandemic, um, you know, they decreased the price. They dropped the price of their bike, I remember, um, significantly. And then came out with another bike to say like, oh, there's this bike now too, and it's better. But the differences were very subtle. And they wanted to do it um, to gain more market share, obviously. But they definitely came in with a premium price. I mean, the treadmill is very premium versus other treadmills. And that's a specific strategy. Obviously, it's a really nice treadmill, but that is price skimming when you're coming in with this like really high product that like nobody can compete with from a quality standpoint. And it's definitely something that people view, I think, as a status symbol. Okay, next up is psychological pricing. 
So this is uh, a strategy for pricing that plays on the customer's emotional perceptions rather than their rational ones. So a common example is charm pricing, where products are priced just below a round number, i.e. $9.99 instead of $10 to make them seem more affordable. Um, other psychological pricing techniques include price anchoring, where a higher priced item is shown alongside a lower priced one to make the lower priced one seem like a bargain. And scarcity pricing, where prices are increased due to limited supply or time constraints. So I see brands using these all the time. Um, I definitely, charm pricing, I would say, um, a notorious brand that does this is Walmart. Walmart prices everything with 97 at the end of it. And that's very specifically a Walmart thing. Uh, if you look at, there's a brand in Toronto, the retail brand called Shoppers Drug Mart. When anything's on sale, it's always got a 99 at the end. Um, that is just psychological price charming, term, charm pricing. Whole numbers typically don't do as well for pricing. Um, so just keep that in mind when you are pricing your products. Uh, price anchoring. So you could see an example of this maybe even with, um, I, I think it can kind of work, work both ways. So um, if you ever see, I'm trying to think of a brand, uh, Sage Wellness, they're like an essential oils brand. They'll have like, you know, the mini sleep roll on and then they'll have like the large size one. If you have to upgrade to the large size one, you save significantly off of the price per milliliter of the essential oil. So it's actually the reverse. So it makes it seem like the larger one is a better deal. Um, there's also like the way where you can kind of show comparisons. So like you could get this product, so this coffee here for like $9.99, but if you want it organic and, you know, fair trade, it's $19.99, putting it beside it. And, you know, for certain customers, that will make a difference. Um, scarcity pricing, I've used this a lot in my brand. And just a reminder to use authentic scarcity because that's important. Um, but if you have a limited supply of a product or time constraints, like you're doing a pre-order of a product or something like that, um, you can definitely increase the price for that. So there's definitely uh, pros and cons for all of these options. Um, and it's always good to make sure that you're aligning legally when you're doing these things. Uh, but those are just some ideas of things that you can do around pricing to make your pricing hit that sweet spot. So let's move on to evaluating your pricing. So how do you figure out if your product is priced correctly? So we already talked about understanding your costs, so I don't want to go into that too much again, but you need to know your margins 100%. So, and not just your cost of goods sold, um, your shipping, your transaction fees, all that kind of stuff. You need to research your competition. So not just like, okay, brand, you know, this toothpaste brand is $9.99, this one's $1.99. You need to kind of plot them. My favorite thing to do is plot them on a matrix. So put a price, uh, put a line vertically, price high or low, horizontally, and use whatever is important in your category. So like, let's say with toothpaste, um, cavity protection, high, low. Um, and then plot your competitors on that chart and plot yourself on that chart and start to see where people are hanging out. And if you're in a crowd of a lot of brands, it's not a good place to be, especially if you're in a crowd of a lot of brands who are mass brands because you can't compete. So that's why it's important. And you may need to do a few of these matrices. I like to do, I did this exercise recently. I did like four different kind of like comparison metrics on each one. And just looked at it and, you know, in some of them I was like, ooh, we're in some, what they would call in the blue ocean strategy, which is one of my favorite books. 
Um, you're in some red water here. There's a lot of people in this area of this matrix, and that's not a good place to be uh, because oftentimes how you're priced and positioned in the market is reflective of your unique value proposition. And if you're in a crowd of too many of the same people, you could be lacking differentiation, which will limit your ability to charge a premium price if that's what you want to do. So do that customer research, um, spend your time, uh, sorry, your competitive research and spend your time doing that to see what comes up from it. And don't just look at um, brands that you think of immediately, like try to do a little bit of broader research and discover some other brands in the market. So spend some time searching some terms to see what else is out there um, and add in a few mass brands just to see where you kind of stack up. And I promise you, this will probably be the most enlightening part of this exercise because you may be shocked at how low your product is priced versus um, other premium brands. And this may be enough for you to increase your pricing. Um, the next step is to really know your customer's willingness to pay. And this is tricky because you can ask people how much they're willing to pay and they'll tell you, but that may not be what they actually do. Um, sometimes you may want to test this so you can A-B test pricing. So you can launch a product at a certain price and see what the uptake is, um, launch another similar product at a different price, or you can actually do A-B testing on your website where different customers see a different price. I think this might be illegal in some states, so definitely check with lawyers if you're going to do that. Um, you can assess the perceived value of your products. So that's, again, really talking through like what are the unique value propositions that your product brings to the market um, and then understanding what the impact would be. Because one of those things is that if you do increase your price, let's say by 10%, what if your conversion rate goes down 10%? Then it's like not really done anything for the brand. Um, if you increase your price 5%, but your conversion rate stays the same, then maybe you've got a big win. So this is kind of doing some forecasting and putting some numbers into a Google sheet and just doing a little bit of estimating. But I can guarantee you that most of you who are listening to this episode need to increase your pricing, most likely. And I know that because the cost of goods sold has gone up dramatically in the last three years. All right, what are some common mistakes in pricing? Ignoring the competition. So I talked about this a little bit. You don't want to base your entire pricing strategy on what your competitors are doing, but you also don't want to not look at what they're doing. And you also don't want to be too narrow and just look at the people who are closest to you because you could all suck at pricing. And I say this because one year, Maybe like two, three years ago, I looked at all the Canadian kind of ethically made clothing brands and I was like, why are we all priced the same? And I was like, why are we priced the same as like Lululemon and like Lole and whatever? I was like, this is not right. None of us has have the supply chain um, and cost base to be priced like this. Why are we all doing this? Um, it's not a good idea. And, you know, I hadn't looked at pricing in a while, but I did do fairly extensive pricing exercise which you can do but I went by category of products sold and I was like okay this is the average of like a t-shirt at this brand a long sleeve a legging and compared them all and like all these Canadian made brands were like basically same price if not less than Lululemon like no that's not sustainable financially so that's why I think you need to pay attention to the competition not too much pay attention like stay stay in your own lane obviously um but don't ignore them all right Mistake number two, not understanding costs fully. 
So businesses often overlook indirect costs associated with producing and selling products. This can include everything from overhead, uh, distribution costs like shipping, picking, packing fees. Um, If you don't account for these and if they do vary on your product, then this really takes a chunk out of your profitability. So one thing I discovered a long time ago was like the cost of return and shipping. So we do flat rate shipping for our brand and flat rate return labels, but we actually, for the most part, subsidize those. We're paying, the cost is actually higher than what the customer's paying. Um, So we figured out what that is and we built it into our pricing so that we could, you know, even that out because that's a cost that can really sink a product. If you think about it in Canada, like shipping a package across Canada can cost sometimes $18 to $20. And then let's say that person returns that order and then you're paying another like $20 and then you're paying the transaction fees, which you don't get back. And then maybe they found you through an ad. So that's like potentially a $60 loss on that product. So you really need to get a handle on your costs, including the cost of advertising. If you're doing paid advertising, that is like number one priority for sure. Another mistake is failing to update prices. So this happened during the pandemic. A lot of brands dragged their feet on cost increases um, and market conditions were changing and prices were going up everywhere. I saw brands that like used to be like cheap brands now are charging similar prices to my brand. And when I see that, I think eh, that's not good because we have a much better quality product and lower uh, volume supply chain. And now that's like the comparable. Um, so you have to kind of pay attention to the market and you have to move quickly too, because a month of lost price increases is, is a lot, but like a year, that's a lot, a lot of profit. So uh, the fourth mistake I see brands making setting prices based on emotion. So based on what you think you should charge without using facts and data. And this can really lead to um, pricing that's either too high or too low, often too low, I think, for the most part I see, like the fear of not enoughness or those types of things that creep into the business, like my product isn't that good or whatever. All those things we tell ourselves can negatively impact your profit margins. The fifth mistake I see is ignoring customer perception. So how your customers perceive your value is critical. If your customers see your product as high quality and unique, they may be willing to pay a premium price. Um, on the other hand, if they see it similar to other products, they will expect similar pricing. And this is a tricky one for small brands because generally we don't have the resources to even create that perception of value, which is created often through branding, content, photography, celebrity partnerships, those types of things. So you can take this with a grain of salt. I, I do think that um, there is a market for everything out there. It's just a matter of how big that market is. Um, but I really think that you need to work on this. If you want to be a premium product, you have to create a premium image online and that's a whole nother podcast episode. All right. My sixth and final, um, common mistake in pricing is relying too much on discounting. So discounts are a good short-term sales strategy. If you rely on them too much, they devalue your product and your brand. Um, a lot of people have doing, done a lot of flash sales this year, myself included, on my brand to move inventory because we all overproduced last year. It sucks. I hate it, but it is not a good long-term strategy and you cannot rely on that. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we used to give like loyalty discounts to customers. Um, and honestly, we had to stop them because they were so unprofitable for us that it just didn't make any sense anymore. And customers would wait to shop until they got that discount, no matter what. Um, and they would wait months and months and months. And a very big brand, um, 
oh my God, what is that brand? Now it's, I almost said J. Crew, and that's not right. Um, oh, well, we'll use the example of the Bay. So the Bay is like a huge um, Canadian retailer. So like years and years ago, um, the Bay used to do like Bay Days and Scratch and Save and all this kind of stuff. Like everything was always bought on promo. I think they had like a really high percentage purchased on promo, like 60% above or something like that. And then a new president came in and was like, stop this. We're not doing this anymore. This is margin dilutive. People would have bought stuff anyways, but they're just waiting for the sale. And they put a huge stop to it and it caused a massive drop in revenue. So, you know, I think they're rebounding from that, but I've actually seen some pretty hot deals on their website recently. So I don't know. I think they're a little rickety, but it can definitely erode a brand. Like that's a brand that I thought was like very premium growing up that started to feel not so premium because of all those discounts. All right, next up, to wrap it up, I just want to give a couple more examples to kind of illustrate some pricing strategies in e-commerce and how that plays out to give you some inspiration as well. Um, So we talked about cost plus pricing strategies. So Amazon, interestingly, when they started, that was kind of what they did. They did their cost and then they would do a slight markup over cost, which was really interesting in the beginning because that was not something that other booksellers were doing. And as they grew and expanded into other products, now they use a dynamic pricing model, which they um, change their prices frequently based on factors like demand, competition, and even time of day which is crazy. It's it's all too often I go on Indigo, which is a bookstore in Canada's website, and Amazon, and their products are priced exactly the same down to the penny. And it's because there's like algorithms scraping that to make sure they price the same. So that's something interesting to think about, especially if you're dealing with a commoditized product, which hopefully you're not, um, in terms of transparency of price. Um, our friends at Netflix, my favorite was just watching them today. Um, they started as a DVD rental service, which some of you may not even know what a DVD is, um, but it was a paper rental model. So you could like rent a DVD for a price and then it went to a subscription model and then to a streaming service. Um, and now there's like a whole tiered pricing system, which has got people up in arms. Um, but it helped them, um, grow its customer base and increase its revenue through a different model. And if you're still paying per program, imagine if you had to pay per program watched on Netflix oh my God, I don't know. I'd probably have to get a hobby or something like that because like I just watched like six episodes of Missing and Murdered and that would have cost me so much money and it would have felt like there was no value to it. So they really found that right value lever and have worked with it. Um, Next up, my favorite, Everlane. So Everlane had this like really transparent cost-based pricing model showing customers when they launch exactly what it costs to make their products and adding a markup. Um, they also had this like choose what you pay sale model where customers could choose the price for the product when they were um, putting it on sale, uh, which generated a lot of buzz in PR. Now, some would argue, potentially some in the industry, that their transparent costs were padded. Uh, but the interesting thing about them is that their prices are so much more expensive than when they started. Um, I remember they would have like, you know, $18 t-shirts or something like that. And now their t-shirts are like 58 bucks, 68 bucks. Um, they're not messing around because they've been impacted by the cost of goods sold increases. They've been impacted by China, uh, tariffs because that's where they make most of their clothing. Um, and also that model wasn't prof- profitable. And this is something that 
no one talks about. They had a ton of VC funding. They have almost $100 million in VC funding. And this is why those types of brands are very dangerous because in some ways, this is like penetration pricing, like that example I gave you before where you come and you're like, oh, look, you can have ethical, sustainable, and high quality for cheap. And the customer's like, amazing. This is what I've always dreamt of, but people told me wasn't possible. So they get that $18 t-shirt and then Everlane starts to realize they're not making any money and then has to jack their prices up. And then the customer's like, well, I thought you could do that. And some other brand comes in and does the same thing. Like there's another brand out there called Quince, which is like, um, they make like cashmere blends and stuff like that and knockoffs of really famous products, quite frankly, for really cheap. And they claim to be ethical and all this kind of stuff. Um, I don't know how ethical they are um, or transparent, but again, they came into the market with the strategy of being really cheap. You can get this Jenny Kane sweater for $500 Canadian, or you can get it from Quince for 50 bucks. Like, what are people going to choose who don't care about the brand? Um, so it's not a long-term strategy, but it's something that can get you a lot of market share and it got Everlane very, very far. So my last example is Apple. So they have a premium pricing strategy as we know, goddamn Apple. Um, but they introduced a more affordable iPhone in 2020 and it was a significant change to Apple and got them a lot of new users. However, at the end of the day, Apple's still a very premium brand that charges premium prices and their whole experience is like that, like the box as to how you pull it open, the sound it makes, and how everything's wrapped. It's like all done very intentionally to communicate a certain experience that you get. And we all know that their products are so expensive, including this iPhone that I'm holding, which was probably close to as expensive as my computer. Um, but I'm sure it doesn't cost that much. All right. So we've covered a lot in this episode. I spoke very fast. So if you need to slow this one down, do that on your uh, podcast app. But we talked on this episode about the importance of pricing, um, why you need to price properly, factors in influencing pricing, pricing strategies, how to evaluate your pricing, common mistakes that are made in pricing, and a couple of examples of pricing strategies in the market to inspire you to relook at your pricing. Because really what I want you to take away from this episode is that your pricing is under your control. Look at your pricing, understand your costs. If you are a small brand and you don't have scale and you won't have scale in a really long time, you really need to look at your costs again. Because otherwise you're just creating a business that is set up for torturing yourself. So if you make the assumption that, yeah, when I make 10,000 pieces, I'm going to pay myself and you're only making 500 today, you're really far off. And that is going to be a very torturous road to get there. So set up your pricing profitably today and do the work and let me know how this episode resonated. Hit me up on Instagram at Christy Sumer. Tag me in a screenshot. I'd love to hear your key takeaway from this episode and rate, review, and share this episode to help other entrepreneurs like you. All right. Thanks. Have a lovely day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Brave and Boss, the podcast. If you want to take your e-commerce brand to the next level, be sure to check out my website at christysumer.com, where you can find all the show notes, free resources, and blog posts and principles to help you grow your online store. You can also follow me at K-R-I-S-T-I-S-O-O-M-E-R on Instagram. Find your purpose, make it happen. I'll talk to you soon.